Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want to remind you that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode or ideas for future episodes, please contact us. There are two easy ways to do so. You can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Or you can tweet us. Uh, use the Twitter handle at sfdiocese with the hashtag ignition. Again, at sfdiocese with the hashtag ignition. If you're not on Twitter, you're probably wondering, like, why at and hashtag and so on? It doesn't matter. It's all. It's just tweet speak as it is. So um, don't have my regular co-host with me this week, Father Andrew Dickinson. Um, we, we had to jostle our schedules a little bit. Um, but I have no slouch in as his replacement across uh, the table from me. Um, I'm happy to welcome Monsignor Charles Mangan, a priest of our diocese, to Ignition this week. Greetings, Monsignor. Thank you, Dr. Bergwald. So before we introduce today's topic uh, here in a moment, Monsignor thought maybe it'd be good to introduce or reintroduce you to listeners of Ignition. Of course, if you're listening to this on Lamb Catholic Radio, you've probably heard Monsignor and uh, what was the name? What is the name of your Morning show? Star. Morning Star. Morning Star. Yes. So, uh, but for those who haven't listened to Morning Star, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Dr. Bergwald, I am a priest of the Diocese of Sioux Falls. I was ordained in 1989 and was raised in Aberdeen second of six children, uh, Sacred Heart Parish, uh, our parish in Aberdeen, and uh, was so grateful to go to 12 years of Catholic school, uh, Sacred Heart School, and then Roncalli High School. I then went on to Northern State University and studied music, and then went to the seminary. I was in the seminary in Winona and St. Paul and Emmitsburg, Maryland. And then I was ordained by Bishop Dudley in 1989, and have been a priest now 28 years. I have done many things, uh, parish work, chancery work, tribunal work. I worked in Rome for some time. I've done some further studies after ordination. So I've been uh, very blessed and have had a very uh, wonderful priesthood. I was going to say, uh, and then you beat me to it, you've got to be coming up on 28 years this year then, right? Yes. So not, just a couple of years away from 30 years as a priest for the true. diocese. True, that's true. Wow. Yes. Wow. Um, I remember when I was studying in Rome as a layman, I think you were, so that was uh, 97 to 2000. So what have you, what have you, because I know you were there for further studies and yes. for work, right? Yes. I came back in 1998. Bishop Carlson had sent me back to study Mariology. Right. And then in early 2001, and incidentally, two days after the conclusion of the Great Jubilee of the year 2000, I remember that so well, I started at the Vatican Congregation for Consecrated Life. Right. And, and was there about eight years. About eight years, and then you came yes. back. Then came home. And so what are you doing now for the in the diocese, Monsignor? Right now, my uh, majority of the time is spent in the office of the Marian Apostolate, which is the office that Bishop Swain established in 2009, to be involved in, as he said, discovering where Mary is. It's not putting Mary, she's already here, but it's to discover where she is, how she's acting. Uh, so that is my main work. I also do some canon law work for Bishop Swain, as well as some work with consecrated life, mm -hmm. uh, especially the two communities which are more cloistered in our diocese. Those would be the Adoration Sisters here in Sioux Falls 
and the Discalced Carmelites in Alexandria. Great. So uh, you're busy. <laughs> yes, it's been busy. And last year I served as a missionary of mercy right. uh, during the extraordinary Jubilee of Mercy, thanks to Pope Francis. And that was certainly a blessing too. And so a lot of time on the road last year and in the air also at times. Uh, but uh, it's a great blessing. Uh, and your work as a missionary, did, correct me if I'm wrong, remember, remember, remembering this right, did uh, the Holy Father continue that that ministry for those of you who are missionaries? Well, Dr. Bergwald, on the last day of the Extraordinary Jubilee, which was the Feast of Christ the King, November 20th, just a few months ago in 2016, uh, the year ended. Uh, but the Holy Father indicated that he would like the Missionaries of Mercy to continue. So about a month later, two, three weeks later, we received a letter from the Vatican saying that uh, if we wish to continue, and if our superior or bishop gave us permission, then uh, we might continue in some form. So I talked with Bishop Swain. He was receptive about the idea, and I wrote back to the Holy See and have not heard back. So I imagine <laughs> they're, they're trying to, to get everything taken care of with 1,100 right. missionaries throughout the world. Right. So uh, you, we've both spent time, you more, but we've both spent um, at least a few years in Rome so I don't think it's surprising to either of us that you haven't heard back yet from uh, from the Holy See. Well, you know, it's interesting because there is a difference, I suppose, in um, understanding of organization. It's not to say that the Holy See and, and the dear Italian people are not organized, but I think there's a different perspective on things mm -hmm. yep. and a different priority given to some of that. Right. And probably, you know, the joke is that... Uh, the Vatican thinks not in terms of years, but centuries. Right. And so, you know, they've been around. We haven't been around that long. No. But <laughs> they've been around that long, so they they know what they're doing. Exactly. Beautiful. Well, thank you for your ministry, Monsignor, as a you're priest welcome, of our Dr. diocese Bergwald. and everything thank you're you. doing. Uh, so the reason I asked Monsignor to be on, on Ignition this week and next week, actually, uh, for these two episodes, is to talk about something uh, very much appropriate to his work and to his area of study and expertise. And... Uh, uh, I think near to his heart as well, be fair to say. And that is the apparitions of Our Lady Mary um, at Fatima 100 years ago. Because this year, 2017, we're celebrating the the 100th anniversary. Speaking about thinking in terms of centuries and not yes, years. Yes. Um, we're celebrating as a church the 100th anniversary of the apparitions, the appearances of Mary, the Mother of God, Our Lady, to uh, three young children uh, in Fatima in Portugal. Uh, and so uh, I invited Monsignor uh, a couple weeks ago if he'd be willing to talk about that, and he was very hesitant and really... No, <laughs> he, he uh, praise God, accepted quickly and very willingly. And so this week we're going to talk, uh, Monsignor, um, about... The, appar the apparitions themselves, the actual apparitions, what happened sort of historically, if you will, 100 years ago. And then next week, uh, we'll look at what those apparitions 100 years ago mean for us today. Why they are still relevant. Why are they relevant? Sound good to you? Sounds excellent. Excellent. So let's just start. If you could, just tell us a little bit about um, the... the the apparitions themselves, maybe whatever you'd like to speak about the background, uh, those to whom Mary appeared, their state in life, a little bit about them, and then the initial apparitions, which, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Mary wasn't the only, and I don't think was the first uh, person who appeared to the children. 
That's correct. You know, we're giving much attention, rightly, to the apparitions of Mary to the children at Fatima 100 years ago, as you said, Dr. Bergwald. But we also remember that actually there was another set of apparitions that happened the year before. Right. In 1916, an angel who identified himself as the angel of peace came and appeared to the children. And I think you could say that his message, and he came three times that year of 1916, uh, his message was really one about prayer, reverence, penance, and doing one's duty before God. That is, we might say today, living one's vocation. Mm -hmm. Well, Our Lady comes a year later, and actually her words are very similar. Right. Prayer, reverence, penance, and doing one's duty or living one's vocation. The angel taught the children some various prayers, and Our Lady did the same. And so prayer is really at the heart of the Fatima message. Uh, Our Lady came then in the spring of 1917. A little side note is that when Mary appeared on that Sunday, May 13th, at that very time in Rome, a wonderful young priest named Eugenio Pacelli was consecrated a bishop. Hmm. And of course, the world would come to know him as Pope Pius XII. Hmm. So it's very interesting that he was uh, consecrated a bishop on the day that Our Lady first came to Fatima. May 13th. May 13th, 1917. So uh, our Blessed Mother came, and the children to whom she appeared, Lucia, or some say Lucia, uh, the Portuguese put the accident, accent on the second syllable, so or the first syllable, rather, Lucia, and then Jacinta and Francisco. They were cousins. Jacinta and Francisco were brother and sister. Mm-hmm. But Lucia was a cousin to the two. And these were young children. And as we know, they could not get read or write. So how young are we, are we talking? We're you... speaking about 10 and younger. Okay. So these were very young children, but yet they were children well-intentioned. They were fun-loving. You know, they would run along the hillside. They would take care of the sheep. Uh, They were tender children, uh, and they were faithful. Uh, They were praying the rosary to some extent. Uh, They were praying the rosary, but uh, the extent of the rosary was Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Mm. instead of the other part of the prayer. Well, that, of course, shows good intention and beautiful will and desire to pray. Uh, But as the time would go on, they would add the other words, and they would complete the rosary. Our Blessed Mother came, and she appeared as this young, beautiful woman. And Lucia said, what do you want of me? And our Blessed Mother, by all means, encouraged Lucia not to be fearful. Mm. And Lucia said, what do you want of me? And Our Lady said, please pray the rosary for the end of the war. That was World War I. And please come to the Kova, this place here where Mary was appearing, for uh, the next some months, the 13th of the month. So our mother would appear on the 13th of May, June, July, and September and October. Okay. In August, she did not appear on the 13th of August, but rather the 19th of August because... Mm. The administrator of a nearby town was very upset that these children had talked about this story, and he wanted to persuade the children that this was all a lie, 
So he took them and put them in jail. Mm -hmm. He threatened to throw them into a boiling pot of oil. Um, Thankfully did not. But certainly during that time of uh, that little captivity, those children were protected Mm -hmm. by God and by Mary. So, Dr. Bergwald, this message continued from May 13th through October 13th. And once again, I think we could summarize simply by saying prayer, reverence, penance, and doing one's vocation. Okay. Uh, This, I think, is really the heart of the Fatima message. And with that, of course, praying the rosary, um, being faithful to God, obeying the commandments, and making reparation for sins. Mm. That is atoning, repairing, making up for my sins and the sins of others. And these little children, even though they were illiterate, they understood well what they were being told. And once again, we have to go back to the fact that they were of good intention. They had good hearts, mm-hmm. and they were formed well. You know, they were they were raised in practicing Catholic households, and so they knew about prayer. And as the time would go on and Mary formed them and taught them, they would grow in that. And these little children quickly became saints. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of a, a capsule of the uh, apparitions. You were listen, you're listening to Ignition, a broadcast for the New Evangelization. I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald, and uh, Monsignor Charles Mangan and I are taking, talking today about the apparitions of Our Lady at Fatima in 1917. That is when Mary, the Mother of God, Mother of Jesus, appeared to three young children, uh, as Monsignor was just saying earlier, 10 years of age and younger. Um, in the Portuguese village, or outside the Portuguese village of Fatima. Um, and, and, and talking about what happened as Mary appeared um, over the course of uh, May 13th through October 13th, 1917. Again, next week we'll be looking at what that, that message that Monsignor was just speaking about still means for us today. Uh, this week we're looking at, in particular, a little bit more about the, the what happened historically uh, with these apparitions. If you got questions about today's episode, please email us ignition at sfcatholic.org. So, Monsignor, with, with the children, they they were from. Um, tell us a little bit uh, as far as you recall about their their background. You you were just saying um, that they were raised in the faith. Were they from wealthy families, poor families, middle what we would consider middle class families? What was their family background that way? Yes, I believe that uh, these families would be probably considered middle class or, or perhaps a little bit on the lower side. Okay. Um, they were hardworking people. Uh, they were attentive to the faith. They were attentive to their work. Um, I think there were not many fun and games. You know, we might say, I think they were serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, of course, it was a different time period, economically and socially. We may note here too, Dr. Bergwald, that at this moment, Portugal was really flirting, and perhaps even more than flirting, with socialism. Right. And as a result, there was tension. There was tension around. And uh, I think the parish priests tried to continue to teach the faith and tried to get across the duties that we have toward God. Uh, But the political system was very difficult. And of course, at the same time, we had the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. Right. So there was upheaval in the world, and of course we had so many young men going to World War II from the United States and from other countries too, or World War I rather, uh, from port from the United States and other countries. So it was a tremendously difficult period. You know, your reference to um, the Bolshevik Revolution in, in Russia, 
um, which became the Soviet Union for decades, as we know, uh, reminds me of Warren Carroll, the historian, uh, Warren Carroll, who founded Christendom College, uh, passed away a few years ago. He wrote a book, I don't know if you've read this book or not, uh, 1917 Red Banner, White Flag, I think is the title, where he puts side by side in a beautiful, just really fascinating way, the events of communist Russia with the revolution, the communist revolution, um, and, and parallel to that, these apparitions of Mary to these young children in Fatima uh, and how they really went together. Because one of the things that Mary called, invited the children to pray for and the world through them was the conversion of Russia. Yes. And I think, you know, we look at those two events and how jarring they are because in the case of the Soviet revolution, uh, violence, upheaval, mm-hmm. uh, terrible loss of life. And in the case of Mary's gentle message to the children, yes, a very serious message, but a patient and gentle message, a firm message and a persistent one, but nevertheless delivered in such a motherly way. Mm. Uh, and so on one side, the notion of throwing society in chaos, and then the other side, working for conversion, working for love, service, perseverance. I think a true contrast. So focusing again on the apparitions themselves. So when Mary first appeared in May, uh, on May 13th, 1917, um, how did she reveal herself visibly to the children? And how did they respond? Yes. Mary appeared uh, with this beautiful white dress. Uh, She appeared with a very gentle look. Uh, Her words were measured, and at times she was described as having a bit of a sorrowful face uh, throughout the apparitions. Um, But yet it was, I think you could say, uh, very motherly, um, a mother who's concerned about her children. As far as the response of the children, there was certainly great openness um, and this is something was not shared by family members and others. When the children came home, and it, it was the thought that the children would just hold this to themselves. But right. as we all say about things that have experienced, we've experienced uh, shortly thereafter the revelation of this incredible visit of this lady. Uh, the children were treated harshly at times, right? Even by their own family. Even by their own families. Uh, there were some family members who were somewhat sympathetic and others were not. I have to interject here, Dr. Bergwald, that uh, D- Sister Lucia, of course, Lucia became Sister Lucia, and years later she recounted something that really moves me whenever I hear it, and that is that despite the fact that her mother did not believe her, she never held it against her. Mm. And in time, her mother would come to believe. But, you know, here's this little girl whose mother doesn't believe her. And you can imagine that this would be a very tumultuous experience. Mm -hmm. And yet Lucia, endowed with great faith, was able to say, I understand. I just think of, so she was 10, right? She's the oldest of the three children. So in our terms, and just thinking of my own children, she'd be fourth or fifth grade in the way that we would think of just to help contextualize for the listeners. This is a fourth or fifth grade girl and she's the oldest and to be in a situation where she's having this incredible experience and her, her own family, including her, her mom doesn't believe her. And yet she perseveres as you were saying earlier. Yes. Yes. And I mean, 
let's remember again that this experience from Our Lady was one filled with grace for these children, and it, it emboldened them. It solidified their faith. And even though they had a heavy cross, they kept going. Right. You know, to see these children be so steadfast despite the scorn that was heaped upon them is truly a marvel. Right. Truly a marvel. Um, and they would go back. They would go back in June as they were asked. That was the Feast of St. Anthony, June 13th. And that was the, St. Anthony was the patron of the little parish there in Fatima. And they would go back in July. July was the encounter with Our Lady, which is very famous because it includes the secrets of Fatima mm-hmm. um, and also the vision of hell that the children saw, that Our Lady saw, that allowed the children to see. Um, so even though there was great scorn heaped upon these children, they persevered all the way. And it's incredible to think about that. You mentioned earlier uh, in the show, the August uh, apparition was delayed because they were imprisoned. And and you talked a little bit about how the, the local local magistrate had threatened to, to uh, dump them in or drop them in a vat of burning oil. What strikes me is, and if I, I think I recall this detail correctly, um, he took each of them and put them, put them in a different room and told the two that were left, okay, so... Lucia, uh, I just put her in the oil, and the other two remained steadfast. Yes. They, they, they refused to deny what had happened to them. Yes. Uh, thinking in their young minds that, in this case, their older cousin uh, was just literally being martyred. Right. In the other room. And then one of the next one to go, is, is that right? Am yeah. I recalling that correctly? Yes. And, and that's one of the uh, things that has come out in various movies. They show different episodes of this, what could have happened. Um, you're right, though, that this is uh, to have these children so keen about holding on to the faith is really a wonder. It is. It truly is. It and is. it says something about the fact that when we allow the Lord to speak to us, and not necessarily it has to be a, you know an, an apparition to us, but we think of the Scripture, we think of the tradition of the Church. When we are rooted in the sacraments of the Church, great things happen. Yep. They really do. And we are given the grace to live the faith. So, Monsignor, I can imagine that people might be listening to this, uh, maybe Catholic, maybe other Christians, maybe maybe some other religion completely, thinking, okay, come on, apparitions, like you guys really believe this happened? Uh, that was in many ways, as we were saying earlier, the response of people at, the, at that time, yes. uh, including the children's family. The final apparition in October, for those who were present, uh, I think— it'd be safe to say, dispelled uh, that that notion that this was just a figment of the children's imagination, let alone yours and mine now. So we've got a little over four minutes left, Monsignor, in, in the, today's episode. Tell us about the final apparition um, in October 13th, 1917. Well, this was the long-awaited apparition, and Mary had promised a miracle. And she said that the miracle would have even been greater had the children not been imprisoned. Mm. Uh, but nevertheless, the 13th of October arrived. It was a very rainy day. And estimates were 75,000 to 100,000 had come to the Kova where Mary was appearing. 75,000 to 100,000 people. Yes. So you can imagine a big field and, uh, you know, you just run the field over with 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. So at this apparition, our Blessed Mother came again 
asking the children to continue to pray the rosary for the end of the war. And the war would end in the next year, thankfully. And also, the Mary was really encouraging the children, encouraging them to, to pray, to live their daily duty, their, their vocation. And then Our Lady appeared in different ways. She appeared as Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And then St. Joseph came holding Jesus. And then, shortly thereafter, the sun in the sky began to, began to dance or spin or whatever adjective you'd like to use, or verb you'd like to use. Um, and uh, at that moment, it was as if, as if the sun became unmoored from the sky and started to hurtle to earth. Now, there were many people there, of course, and uh, people started to scream out. Some, it is said, began to pray out loud. Some began to recite their sins out loud, thinking that this was the end of the world. Right. And so the sun came hurtling, but before it hurtled to earth, it stopped and then resumed its place. Those who were there said, and up to a few years ago, there were still some people alive. There may even be a handful or less who are still alive who saw it. You'd have to be very old by now. But nonetheless, those who were there said that their clothes became dry. Mm -hmm. So we had this drenching downpour, and now the clothes are dry. And uh, there's a spirit of peace and calm and gratitude to God and to Mary for preserving them from this terrible disaster. And we might end here, Dr. Bergwald, by saying that the secular newspaper in Lisbon was there, was present with a reporter, and actually saw this and reported on what was happened, what happened. And people from far away, 35, 40 miles, did see the sun episode. So with that in mind, it was a tremendous end to Our Lady's Six Apparitions. So, uh, and I want to emphasize that final point that you were making, that they were um, at least agnostics, if not atheists, non-believers, people who, in addition to Catholics who denied or or were skeptical of what the children were claiming happened to them, there were people who explicitly were hostile to Catholicism present there because anticipation of this miracle that Mary was alleged to uh, perform, was going to perform, or, or God was going to perform, rather, I should say, who were there and witnessed it and documented what they saw. Yes. So this is in secular, not 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 faith-based, uh, secular newspaper reporters who reported on the on, on this uh, this miracle. That's right. It wasn't a Catholic newspaper. It was a secular newspaper. Uh, so that itself should be some indication that this really happened. Monsieur, one of my favorite books on this is a book by William T. Walsh called Our Lady of Fatima, appropriately. Yes. Uh, it's a fantastic book on just sort of going through the history of what happened. Um, we've got about 20 seconds left, Monsignor. Any other resources that we, you would recommend? If anyone would like to write to me, I have a little booklet that I'm happy to send gratis to those who would like it. They could write to us here at the Pastoral Center, 523 North Duluth Avenue, Sioux Falls, Five seven one zero four. Great. Thank you so much for this this episode, Monsignor. Next week, we'll talk about what the apparitions mean today. We'll look forward to it. Great. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us at ignition at sfcatholic.org or tweet to us. SFDiocese use the hashtag Ignition with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find archives of this and past episodes online at sfcatholic.org. Click on Media and then Audio Files. You can also subscribe to the Ignition Podcast in the iTunes Store. 
Remember to tune in every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. on Lamb Catholic Radio at 91.3 FM in Hartford and 104.3 LPFM Juan Diego Catholic Radio in Sioux Falls and on 88.9 FM in Ipswich and Aberdeen or online at lambradio.com.